to another episode of the Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. And I think the world would be a better place if we could all disagree without being disagreeable. I'm not a content creator. I'm not a podcaster. I'm just a regular guy, just like you. Well, maybe we're a little different. We're not all the same, right? But we're all created equal. We are in some ways, and we're not in others. And that's just a hard fact of life. I promised to start making the intros shorter, so that's what I'm going to do. For now, sit on your butt, turn your brain off, and turn your ears on. That's not true, actually. Don't turn your brain off. Keep your brain on. Take in what I'm telling you. Digest it. And then process it however you want to. Don't just take what I say for the gospel. Either way, it's my turn to have the floor. So listen up. guys know every song that gets played there's some meaning behind it there's there's something i don't just randomly pick songs and i kind of take delight in putting songs out there and everyone kind of wondering what they mean because you know being a crypto guy i kind of like the the mystic effect that people can have on people or do i mean cryptic crypto cryptographic i don't know you know what i mean you know, sometimes I say things and I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I don't and I don't realize that until I go back and I listen to this podcast because 90% of it is off the cuff. Like I've got some notes. I have some scribble scrabble, but I don't plan out this. I don't read anything. I just I just go through my my thinking process. And so I was listening to last week's show. As soon as I post it, I try to listen to it to make sure the audio is good and there's no problems because you know, after doing this for like five years, you would think that I have all the audio figured out, know how to work everything and all the equipment. But no, you know what? I feel like getting things set up to record and getting the levels right is just as frustrating as it was five years ago. But I now have the ability to feed in audio 
from other sources. And so that that's like a whole new learning curve because if I bring in audio from the YouTube, I've got to match it with the audio of my voice. It's got to be the same level. And sometimes you'll notice like something's a, lot, a little bit louder than other things and something's quieter. You're just going to have to deal with it. That's, that's the production value I can offer. That's the maximum production value I can offer at this time, your honor. So over time, maybe I'll get better. But for now, you're going to have to just live with the discrepancies in the volumetric ability of my production capabilities. Which brings me to a correction that I have to make. So in the podcast last week, I was listening to it on Sunday night, right after I posted it. And I caught myself saying something and thinking, that's not exactly what I meant. So I don't do these often. And I will tell you, like, here's a little secret. Sometimes I say things wrong on purpose just to see if people will call me out. I know it's a dirty little secret, but it's not a lie. It's the truth. But I did say something that sounded pretty bad, and I want to go back and redact it from the from the transcript. And I was talking about people who are, you know, voters and their and their level of voter education. And I said something along the lines of, you know, so and they get to vote. That they get to vote. And I and I don't mean that they people shouldn't get to vote. But what I do mean is lots of people shouldn't vote. So everyone should have the right to vote as long as you're of sound mind. But I don't think everyone should vote. The whole idea that everyone should just Go out and vote. Just vote one way or another is a, is a terrible plan because you're encouraging people to make decisions on behalf of the country who maybe aren't equipped to make those decisions. And when I say they're not equipped, I just means they don't I just means I just mean they don't have enough information, right? In order for you to make a decision, let's just say you're going to go buy a life insurance policy, you need to know the details of that policy. People don't tell you, just go buy a policy, any old kind. It doesn't matter. Just go buy one. They don't, they don't tell you to just go buy a car. They say, no, do your research. You don't just, if you're looking for a dog, you don't just go buy a dog. Just go buy any dog. No, you need to figure out what breeds do what and how that could have an effect on your life, your, your daily routine. Because if you get the wrong dog breed, then you, well, you, you get the idea. I'm rambling. And politicians know this. They know that the, it. If they can just say one or two things that strikes an average voter and then they convince them to go vote, well, boom, that's that's a vote for them and not their opponent. And now they get to be in the position of power and they get to be the ones who are negotiating things and deals behind the scenes. And they are going to be the ones who get to write books after they get out of office. You see, these politicians are motivated to be in office, not just to do good things, but to benefit themselves. But you guys already know how I feel about that. We're going to touch on that more later in the show. The first thing I'm going to really talk about is something that everyone is talking about. And believe me, I don't like talking about the same topics that everyone talks about, especially social issues. Now, I do like the financial stuff that everyone talks about. Typically, I can offer a little bit of a different perspective, which is what I try to do on these social issues as well. If you watch the top tier media conglomerates like Fox News and OAN and all these conservative based media giants they just repeat the same things over and over again and they're geared to a specific audience and they got to make money and i get it but what i like to do is kind of show you the backside one of my favorite books of all time is called freakonomics the hidden side of everything because like some famous scientist whose name i can't think of right now i think it was sir isaac newton i don't know don't quote me on that for every action there's equal and opposite reaction and doing things like 
giving away money to cover student don't student loan student loan debt will have an equal and opposite reaction. Personally, I think this plan is going to backfire on Bo Jiden. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think people will actually get their debt wiped away, which is something that's just silly. I wrote my accountant and I said, hey, is it cool if we just erase our uh, our debt off our balance sheet? That way it can just be forgiven. Of course, she just wrote back and laughed at me. But that's what they're doing, right? So a quick rundown on how this whole process works. At some point along the way, someone decided that students need to go to college. Everyone needs to go to college. If, everyone, if you go to college, you'll just make more money. That's just the way it is. You'll go farther in life. And this is coming from a generation who saw kind of colleges taking off and people that were going to colleges starting to make more money. So people thought that a college degree was a ticket to make more money. When in reality, what it is, is the types of people who went to college or the types of people who also did well in life. It doesn't necessarily mean that the degree helped you get the money. Maybe it got you started out at a little bit higher place, but it by no means guaranteed success. But for whatever reason, people saw people graduating from college, making a little bit more money, and they thought that college was the reason for it. And so they said, everyone should go to college. Plumbers are stupid. Don't be a dumb electrician. And now, as we all know, plumbers and electricians are making far more than college graduates after three or four years worth of work, which I love. I think that's great. So once they decided that people needed to go to college, there was banks and lenders out there who loaned money to students. They said, here, we're going to issue you a loan so you can go to school if you want to. Well, people took on the debt. As time went on, the lenders started seeing that the default rate was kind of high, which means people were finishing college but not paying back the loans that they borrowed the money to go to school with. So then the lender said, okay, well, you know what? We're going to have to get a higher interest rate because remember, the interest rate is just the cost of borrowing money based on the risk that that money doesn't get paid back. Remember, a debt to someone is an investment to someone else, right? When you borrow money, there's someone who loans you money, and they don't do that for free. They do that with the expectation that they're going to get interest in return. So the bank said, hey, these people are defaulting. They're not paying their loans back. We need to raise the interest rate on these loans because we're not a charity. We can't just give money away. Well, then the government steps in and says, no, you can't do that. You have to charge them a lower interest rate. You have to charge them a lower interest rate because that's what people who go to college deserve. They deserve a lower interest rate. So the banks went back to the federal government and said, we'll do that, but we need money to compensate for it. You guys need to pay the extra interest rate because we're not willing to loan money to these people for X percent because they don't pay us back. But if we raise their interest rates a little bit, it would be worth it because then we would be making higher profits from the people who do pay us back in order to cover the losses of the people who don't pay us back. Does this sound familiar? Because it's exactly what happened in the housing market in 2008. The government said, hey, you guys need to loan money to people to buy houses. The bank said, no, we're not. This is, this is what it's going to take. You need to make this much money. You need to have this good credit. And the government says, you know what? Y'all loan them the money. If they don't pay you back, we'll cover it. We're good for it. We're the government. So the bank said, okay, that's fine. You got a deal. And they did it. And the banks were right. And all the houses defaulted and no one could make their mortgage payment. So what happened? The banks got bailed out because they had a deal with the government. And the government said, 
hey, if you guys flop, we'll bail you out. But no one talks about that. No one That's not brought up anymore. Everyone's just mad that the banks got bailed out. So fast forward to the, the college loan heyday. And now, instead of the banks facilitating the loans between the, the borrowers, the college kids, and the colleges, the government facilitates the loans. Well, the government doesn't have source of revenue other than taxpayer dollars. That's the only way the government makes money. They don't produce anything. They don't sell anything. All they can do is take money away from people. So the government, which I suspect is also in conjunction with banks, I would imagine that there's some banks who provided, they provided liquidity to the government. They said, hey, here's a few billion dollars. Go loan it to students and give us some money back. I don't know for sure, but I'm just guessing. Typically, that's how these types of things works. It's not always just the government money. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Either way, the government went and loaned all this money to these college kids, okay? We've been preaching to college kids for how long? To go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. So we sent everyone to college. We got all the money borrowed. We gave everyone the money to pay for their college. They finish college. What happens? They all graduate. They all they all end up in the workforce kind of at the same time. A larger wave than normal because we convinced them to do it and we loaned them the money to do it. And so what happens when you have an influx of something into a marketplace, right? When you have excess supply, but the same demand, what happens? That's right. The price goes down. So in this case, the price of the job or the, the, the price at which they were to hire people, their, their wages is now lower. Because remember, there's only a certain number of jobs, and we can't create jobs and just pay people more money because they have a degree. Once those jobs are filled, well, you know what? We don't need any more people that can do those jobs. So now you have to pick something lower on the pay scale, even though you have a degree. Because companies can only pay so much money. Whether you have a degree or don't have a degree, they can only offer you to pay X amount of dollars per year. That's it. Because anything more than that, and their model doesn't work. They're not making a high enough profit to stay in business, or, or we don't know. But either way, businesses can only pay so much in labor before they're maxed out. So all the kids look for jobs. They can't find any. They're stuck at retail stores, folding clothes, or the manager of gas stations, and all these types of things that before didn't need college degrees, and they still don't. But since we convinced everyone to go do it, they went and did it. They graduated with a bunch of debt, and now they're stuck with it. And I think what's happening is the government is seeing that these people are getting ready to default on their loans, just like the housing market did. And so instead of just saying like, oh man, everyone flopped in their loans and their credit's gone to hell and you know we got to come after them and spend tons of money, they said, you know what? We need to just wipe away $10,000 in debt and it won't look so bad. It won't look as bad. Some people will get $20,000, some people get $10,000. And maybe that'll provide a little bit of relief so that they won't default and maybe they'll see their monthly payment get smaller and they'll try to make it good. But the whole thing has turned into a scandal. And here's why. Because think about it if you own a college. Now, I know a lot of people don't own colleges, but if you owned a college and you saw the ability for you to raise your prices, why do you have the ability to raise your prices? Because you have more and more people who want to come to your school and the government's helping pay for it. So they just kept raising their prices and raising their prices and raising their prices. I think I heard the other day that Harvard has in cash something like $42 billion just sitting in what's called an endowment. So 
You've got the colleges who are making money hand over fist. You've got all the kids who were told to go to college and went to college, and some of them finished and some of them didn't. And they said, we're, we can't find anything except working at Bed Bath & Beyond. Well, sorry, that's what you got to do. So now 37% of Americans have a college degree. I'm assuming this is working adult age or whatever. But 20% of Americans have student loan debt. So that means there's a good portion of people who have worked and paid off their debt. My whole point is this. I think this thing's going to backfire in Joe Byron's face if he can even get it done. I'm skeptical that he can't get it done because the president should not be able to sign a more or less trillion-dollar executive order. It says in the Constitution that the, the government shall not appropriate funds without the approval of Congress. So I don't think he's going to get it done. Neither does Nancy Pelosi, who clearly says about a year ago, very drunkly and inebriatedly sounding, the president does not have the right to waive student loan debt. He doesn't have the right to do it. Which, listening, I'm about to play you a clip. Just relax. This lady, when she talks, you can tell she knows not of which she speaks. These people are not decision makers. They're not leaders. They are slime balls who know how to weasel their way into positions of power. And they enjoy being cunning and deceiving and making sure deals get done on the down low. And they're very, very good at that. What they're not good at is understanding policy and the backlash of economic decisions and the, the factors that affect the average working American. They're, not, they're so far out of touch with that. Listen, listen to how pathetic the speech sounds. It sounds to me like a fifth grader who has no clue what they're talking about. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That, would, that has to be an act of Congress. And um, uh, I, I don't even like to call it forgiveness because that implies a transgression. It's not to be forgiven. Get, get just freeing people from those obligations. Uh, so it, 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 the question of who gets forgiven, whether to use the term of art that is out there, uh, is a is a debate. Do we use the, whatever money there is for the broadest base of support of the those with um, more people with even less debt or fewer people with more debt? That's a policy discussion. But the difference between the president, the president can't do it. So that's not even a discussion. They, not everybody realizes that, but the president can only postpone, delay, but not forgive. Did anything that that woman said just make sense? I mean, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you one clip that I chopped out from the middle of this. And I want you just to listen, just to listen how she can't, assemble sentences she can't put words together she can't have a continuous flow a stream of congruent thoughts and she just spits out words i mean i understand not everyone is good at public speaking i i completely understand that but if you're going to be the leader of the most powerful country in the world third in command a heartbeat away from being in the freaking white house as a vice president, you have got to know what you're talking about. You've got to say things that make sense. You've got to put ideas out there that are respectable and that and that intelligent people can understand what you're saying. 
Just listen to this. We should be absolutely embarrassed by this word salad. Uh, so it, 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 the question of who gets forgiven, whether, to use the term of art that is out there, uh, is, a, is a debate. Do we use the, whatever money there is for the broadest base of support of the, those with um, more people with even less debt or fewer people with more debt? That's a policy discussion. What in tarnation is this crazy woman trying to say? Uh, you know what? Here's what I think she's trying to say. If I was up there, I think the question was, or the question at hand was, and I'm going to sum it up in one sentence. If I was in Nancy Pelosi's position, I would have taped my hands to my side because she waves them around like an idiot. And I would have said, well, I think one of the things that we're going to have to discuss is whether or not we're going to satisfy the debt of a small minority of people with a large amount of debt or the inverse of that. That's it. And she talks for 30 seconds about nothing. Oh, listen, I didn't plan on going on this rant. I wanted to stick to the facts. But man, these are the kinds of reasons we cannot keep voting. for. Okay, so where was I? I don't know. I, I spun off there. But I don't think it's going to happen. And not just because Nancy Pelosi says it's not going to happen, but also because the president, I don't think, can just scratch a check for a trillion dollars. I mean, especially when he can barely get through a sentence. Like we don't if we're if we're living in a society where the president can write a check for a trillion dollars just to just to help out a small group of people, then we got bigger fish to fry. We got some problems. We need to change some things and not let that happen because. Imagine if Trump were to scratch a trillion dollars for small businesses. <gasps> People would lose their minds. Imagine if you worked for a company and you all decided, hey, uh, we're all going to give away about 20% of our paycheck. Let's just say it comes out to about $10,000. We're going we're gonna to give it to the CEO and the leadership and trust that they're going to do really good things for us and they're going to make our working environment better and they're going to have better snacks and better coffee and we're going to you know what we're going to give you guys that and trusting that you'll do the right thing with it okay and now a hundred percent of the people give away their money back to the company so that they can have a better environment i know this this would never happen right people just expect the company to pay for everything but let's just say that people were willing to sacrifice a portion of their income to create a better work environment and now the, the CEOs take it in, all these big executives take it in, and let's just say that they do something that only benefits a small portion of the employees. Aren't you going to think to yourself, dude, I just gave away tons of money, and they fixed up like the handicap stall of the female restroom. Well, I mean, that's great and all, but I don't get to use that. I don't get to benefit that. I gave a large portion of my money in hopes that they would do something for everyone, to benefit everyone, not just one little group. You'd be livid. You'd be furious. And you would say, I can't believe I just gave away money and you guys made this bad decision. But now the difference is you don't willingly give it to the government. They take it. And if you don't pay it, they will take you and they will put you in jail. But I think you get the idea, right? So student loan disaster recap. We convinced everyone to go to college. They did so. The lenders wouldn't give them the right amount of money at the right interest rate that they needed. The government steps in and says, okay, we got your back. Let's do this. All y'all go to college. They did it. Everyone took on the debt. They went to college. They finished college. Not enough jobs making enough money to pay for them. They're getting ready to default on the debt. And the Joe Byron steps in and goes, well, uh, uh, I'm going to replace the debt with 
with a, well, I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm going to erase it. I'm going to do erase it, and maybe you'll vote for me again to stand up in front of the country like a dead man and try my hardest to talk. Not a joke. Not a joke. Speaking of aging individuals, I've recently been doing a lot of research on what I've called is the boomer bust. Not boom or bust, but the boomer bust. And I'm not going to go into a lot of statistics, but so far what I'm finding is that we had the baby boom, which was anyone born between whatever it was, I don't know, 46 and 64. I don't know. I don't know the years, but we all know what baby boomers are. So we had this huge boom in population. Well, if you look at it on like a timeline, you see this big spike that's just moving down the timeline through the years. And so it's a, it's a huge incline and then a huge decline in the population. And so when you have that, you're going to put a strain on certain things in the, in the economy, in the environment. And I don't mean like the ecological environment. I mean the, the environment of your surroundings and a, and a product of what types of businesses happen around you. And so here's kind of what I can gather is probably going to look like. So the peak boomer retirement is going to be in 2030. That's when a majority of the boomers will have stopped working. Now, whenever people stop working, right before you stop working is typically the most money you'll ever have in your life. It's your highest net worth. Because after that, when you're not producing income, you're dwindling, you're spending. So you spend a vast majority of your life working to save up money to get you through the end of your life when you can't really work as efficiently or effectively. So what's going to happen is all these baby boomers are going to take their retirement money and they're going to take it out of the equity markets and the capital market. What does that mean? Well, you've been using all these big financial terms and nobody knows because you just think you're so smart. So whenever you have money invested in a 401k or, or through a brokerage or a, a IRA or retirement program, life insurance, that money doesn't just sit in a bank account. They take that and they loan it out to other companies and they take that and they loan it out and it's moving around and it's, it's providing capital or money to, to the entire economy. Now, but it's at risk, right? Remember we talked about the loans and the higher the risk, the more likely it is that you're going to lose, but the more you can possibly gain. So they're going to, what's called de-risk. They're going to take it out of the risky environment because they don't want to lose anything. This is all they've got to get them the rest of their life. So the capital markets are going to dry up, meaning there's not going to be as much money out there for people to borrow and loan because where's the money going to come from? And this is going to make the interest rates be higher and higher and higher because people who need to borrow money, some can pay more and they can keep paying more and they can pay more. Other guys, they can't borrow money for any more than like 5 6 7%, anything more than that, and their business model doesn't work. And if you're one of those people who thinks, well, that's good. We need to get rid of big corporations. Businesses just need to go away. Just tune out. Turn this off right now. You, you won't agree with anything I say. Because the more businesses we have, the more choices consumers have. The more choices consumers have, the better pricing they'll have, and the more freedom they have. So the more businesses we have all competing against each other, the better off we'll be. Now, the, a good side of this equation is that, remember, our big spike of population, they're all going to be leaving the job market at the same time. Well, that's going to leave holes. It's going to leave gaps that need to be filled, jobs that need to be done. So there will be uh, a pulling up of people 
you know, from the following generation into the boomers roles. Well, then that's going to leave a gap behind them and it's going to pull them up and it's going to leave a gap behind them and it's going to pull them up. So what I expect to see is a kind of a, a jump up um, in, in salary in working like uh, your responsibilities. Like everyone's kind of going to get the, the promotion and it's, that's on a huge aggregate level, right? So you can't be like, well, I expect to get a promotion. All the boomers are dying. That's not what I mean. It's also going to do things like it's going to make um, any type of businesses or business environment who deal with older people, they're going to have a period of great times, and then it's going to fall off. I mean, you look at the companies who advertise in AARP and companies who buy out life insurance policies are about to make a ton of money. Retirement homes, uh, nursing homes, senior active living centers, all these types of places are about to just They've already been booming for a while, but the next 10 years is about to be their heyday. I also think that there's going to be a huge flood of single-family homes to the housing market because as these people get older, they're going to move into retirement homes and they're not going to live in their big three-bedroom, two-bath house that they've just gotten paid off. They're going to sell it, take that cash, and, and use it to fund the end of their life. And so that's going to leave a bunch of houses on the housing market. Well, what is that going to do to housing prices? That's right. It's going to push them down. Because why? Because anytime you have an influx of supply or a decrease in demand, prices go down. So that's just a tip. That's just a tip of the, the, the boomer bust theory that I'm kind of, I don't know, looking up late at night when I'm bored. And that's where I'm at. I'm going to keep you posted on any new findings. Maybe I'll start looking up some statistics. Okay, for my next trick, I'm going to talk a little bit about inflation. And I know I've done it quite a bit. But I want to clear up some things, and, and mainly <laughs> that one thing is that it's getting talked about all over every media outlet and every TikTok video and every YouTube, everyone's talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. People are getting confused and think that just because prices are going up, that's from inflation. Now, inflation does cause prices to go up, but just because prices go up, that doesn't mean it's from inflation. Now, certain things can be inflationary, which means they can push prices up, but that is not the same as inflation itself. There was a super famous economist named Milton Friedman, and he was like the one of the big preachers of capitalism. Like he understands how capitalism works. He knows it inside and out. Uh, I think he probably he was real old in like the seventies and eighties. So I don't know when the guy passed away. Uh, I've read a couple of his books. I've listened to a lot of his speeches. And I, I believe what he says is right. Now, that has nothing to do with politics, right? Before, we could talk about economics without saying capitalism equals conservative equals Republican, therefore you're wrong. So I'm still of that mindset. I'm still of the mindset that we can talk about capitalism versus socialism and not get our emotions and feelings involved in regards to our politics. So Milton Friedman did a lot of speaking about inflation. And what he says, which I agree with, is that inflation is only caused by the government. It is only caused by printing money. Now, there's lots of people who would argue that, well, yes, that's true, but it's a good thing. It keeps our economy going. It keeps, it keeps money moving. It allows the ability for more loans, and it's good. So there's some people who say a little bit is good. There's some people who say a lot is good. And there's some people who say none is good. Me, Personally, I think none is best. I, 
I could be wrong. We don't know because we've never really, you know, we've never seen, uh, we've never seen an economy the size of ours exist without the government tinkering with its money. But I think it would be a, a safer, less volatile environment, right? The way that this country works, our economy is we have booms and we have busts. You have, you know, you have you have a debt. You leverage up, you go, you borrow money, you borrow money, then everything goes down and you give the money back and you lose the money. And then because we control the money supply, we're causing that to happen. Where if we didn't control the money supply, it would be more of a straight line. And it would tend to trend upwards, in my opinion, because we are American, we innovate and we seek efficiency. And it's an environment where we can create profit. So I feel like that the trend line would still go up, meaning the way of life would get better. People's net worth would go up. And people would acquire more assets over time. But it's important to remember that things like the Ukraine and Putin do not cause inflation. That is a change in supply and demand. Those are changes in the macroeconomic soap opera. That's not inflation. Inflation is just creating extra money, driving the value of it downward. Because anytime you have more of something, what happens to the value? It goes down. Right? If there's two baseball cards and they're the only two left in the world and I take one away, what happens to the value of that one? It's going to go up. If you have two baseball cards and they're the last two in existence and all of a sudden some old man cleans out his basement, he finds a third one, what's going to happen? The prices of them are going to go down a little bit. That's just the way things work. So you think about it as money is just the, the baseball cards. When you have more of them, they're worth less. When you have less of them, they're worth more. When you create money, when you push a button that, that adds a bunch of money to banks' accounts so that they can then go lend it out, then you're creating money. Okay, so that's just the intro, <laughs> kind of, kind of. All right, I'm going to go kind of e economic nerd on you here for a second. Right now, the White House is scrambling to raise money. They're hiring new IRS agents. They're doing anything they can to try to figure out how to bring some more money in. Because remember, the White House or the government has no way of producing money other than taking it from taxpayers. That is the only way they can make money. And when they do things like give money to businesses for the PPP money, when they do the EIDL loan, when they give money to um, green energy firms, when, they, when, when they're subsidizing all these businesses, that's money going out. On top of that, Here's kind of where it gets tricky. When the government raises interest rates, now we all know interest rates are going up, going up, going up. We all know what that, we know what it sounds like, but what does it really mean? Okay, so the government raises the interest rate at which it borrows money. What does that mean? You've heard of the word treasury bills, T-bonds, or T-bills. What that is, is that's, that's a promissory note from anyone in the public to the U.S. government, okay? So the U.S. government says, all right, all right, John Smith, I want to borrow $1,000 from you. You give me the $1,000, and then every month I'm going to pay you an interest rate over the course. You know, the interest rate is, is specified by the year, but the money gets paid every month. So let's just say it's 12% interest rate. That would give you 1% of the loan every month until, the, until it's done. There's a lot of other complexities and nuances, and the bonds can trade hands in the secondary market. But let's just say that, just for simplicity's sake, that's what a treasury bill is. That's how the government borrows money. And so when you hear the word um, interest rate, government raised interest rates, they are raising the interest rate that they pay on the money that they borrow. 
So they're so powerful, they're not like me and you. They don't get to march into a bank and say, hey, I need money, here's how much I'll pay. They have the ability to say, here's how much we're paying, who wants a piece of this? And the open market goes to them and says, you know what, I'm confident that the government's not going to fail. So if I can give them $1,000 and I can get 1%, 2% on my money, I'm fine with that. Because if I put it in a bank and the bank goes belly up, they could lose my money. If I buy stocks and the, and the company goes belly up, they could lose my money. But I know that if I loan it to the government, they're not going to go broke anytime soon. They're going to pay me my debt. So the government raises interest rates in order to slow down the economy. So they raise the rate. And so that rate, you can think of it as a risk-free rate. That's the rate you can get a return on your money at no risk, okay? So now let's say I'm a bank, and I've got $1,000 to loan out. I could go put it with the, the federal government and get my, let's just say, 2% risk-free. I know I'm going to get it no matter what, unless the government goes broke, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. Or I can go loan it to John Smith's tractor service, needs to borrow $1,000 in order to make some repairs for his mower so he can get back to work. So the bank looks at the landscaping company and says, well, we can loan him $1,000. We could give it to the federal government. We can get 2% from the government. So we're going to need a higher rate from the landscape guy because he's less likely to pay it back than the government. Remember, this is just like our student loan example. So the bank now decides, well, what is the rate that I will loan it to the landscape company to make it worth my risk. And it's it's not going to be 2% because 2% is risk-free. It might be 3%, it might be 4 it might be 5 6 7 who knows. But so as the government raises interest rates, they're also pushing up interest rates in the private sector because the money can go one of two places. It can either go by government treasury bills or it can make loans to individuals. And so that's how the interest rates push up everything. Now, at the same time, the, the government is raising the interest rate on the debt that they have to pay. So they're motivated to not raise it too high because if it gets too high, they won't be able to meet those financial obligations. The, the interest rate will be higher. And so what are they forced to do? They're forced to go sell more treasury bills to generate the money so that they can pay the higher interest rates that they've created for themselves. It's not a good situation. Think about it like this. Have you ever had problems paying your bills, which almost everyone that I know has had problems paying bills at some point, right? Some worse than others, but all of us have been to the point, well, thought to ourselves, man, what am I going to, I can do this and then do that and do that and, and make the bill payment and I'm good. And some of us have been in a position where we just fall a little bit further behind. Every month, our rent gets a little bit later and a little bit later and a little bit later until eventually you're a month behind. And your landlord's like, bro, you're a complete month behind. There's no possible way you're going to be able to come up with two months rent and get it right. So what do you do? You go, you go borrow the money to pay for it. Well, now you have to pay the interest rate on that. In that cycle, if it doesn't get any better, it just gets worse and worse and worse until what happens? Until the people that you're borrowing money from to pay your bills will stop loaning you money. They will say, no more. We're not giving you any money. At which point, everyone that you owe money to doesn't get paid. So that's how the the US financial system will collapse. It's not if, it's when. How far away from that are we? Who knows? It, we could be 10 years, could be 100 years, could happen next year, probably not, but it will happen eventually. And here's how I know. 
Because if you look at the our GDP, which is our gross domestic product, that is the amount of all the goods and services produced by the U.S. every year. It's basically everything that gets sold and every service that gets paid for. That all happens within the U.S. That's a gross domestic product. So when we're trying to explain statistics, we oftentimes look at things in terms of the GDP. Okay, I know that sounds kind of kind of shifty and, and weird, but let's just talk about this: the federal debt, right? So this is how much money that the federal government owes in form of treasury bills and any kind of loans they have out there. So they they owe money in in two thousand and eight. It was 64%, okay? Now, what that means is if the government made $100 that year, and it just is very, very simple. If the GDP was $100, they owed 64 in debt. Another way to think about that is that if you make $50,000 a year and you have 25000 in debt, right? So half of your annual salary, if we're just... Very, very simple. So half of your annual salary is debt. You're okay. Most people are fine with that. You know, if you make $50,000 a year and you have a total of 25000 in debt, I think that's kind of high, but there's lots of people out there who can do it. They can get by with it. They're fine with it. Obviously, we're not counting your home, right? Because that, that throws everything out of whack. That's a totally different animal. So exclude your home. Look at how much you bring in and look at your total debt, excluding your house. That is the percentage of your debt to your GDP. Obviously, there's no GDP for your home, but it's the same type of scenario. Okay, now, in the year 2022, we're at 122%. So, our debt since 2008 has doubled what we make. Okay, so now we are, we're, we're a household who makes $50,000 a year, and we have $100,000 in debt, not counting our house. That is a tough position to be in. And so you can see that this number is just going up and up and up and up. The only time it's ever had any meaningful decline was from 1966 to 1975. That's the only time it's really gone down. Ever since then, it's gone up. It shot way up during the housing bubble, and it's shot straight up in 2020. And so, like I said... How long can it go? Nobody knows. But you can clearly see that the White House or the, you know, the I don't want to just say the White House, but the whole federal government is scrambling for cash. They're trying to figure out how to recover money that's not debt. This is why they went out and hired 87,000 IRS agents, because they said, what is the what can we do to get money the fastest that we don't have to borrow? At least I hope they're smart enough to be thinking like this, because the the, the debt-to-GDP ratio, had it not been for 2020, was kind of just going sideways. It was still going up a little bit. It was right around 100%. So from 2013 to, 2000, or to, to the beginning of 2020, it went from like 100 to 111%. So that would be the equivalent of you know, making $50,000 a year and having $50,000 still kind of running on the ragged edge, if you ask me. But nowhere near 122%, right? So for every dollar that the U.S. makes, it owes $1.20 in debt. And that's just a simple model that we can look at and see how, how long is this sustainable? How long can this go on? Can it go $2, $3, $4, $5? Because eventually, people will look at it and they will say, 
mm, you know what? That's too risky. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'd rather go invest in something else. And as the world becomes more of a global marketplace, and, and cryptocurrency is going to add to this, and I know, I know, I talk about it all the time, but it's okay. You need to hear it all the time. Cryptocurrency is going to add to this. It's going to give someone the ability to, instead of buying a risk-free government treasury bill for 3%, they can invest 4 or 5% over here at less risk because it's going to be a global lending and borrowing environment. It's not going to be just limited to the U.S. and the U.S. capital markets. And so as they do that, the government's borrowing power will go down a little bit or a lot. Who knows? So what they have to do to compensate for that is they have to raise their interest rates. They have to say, well, fine, if you'd rather loan your money to India for a little bit more money, then go loan your money to India. And then eventually they're going to say, well, hey guys, we, uh, we really need some money. So what do we do? Well, now they have to pay a higher interest rate than what India was paying. And every time they raise interest rates, they're raising the interest rates on themselves. So... That's just a quick look into interest rates, inflation, things that are going on. I kind of went off on a tangent, but like I said, my goal is to give you just some insights, some information, and that maybe you can you know, catch a little bit more from each episode. And if you know more than me and I'm wrong about this, please let me know because all I do is take in what I listen to and what I read and just I just regurgitate it, really. I don't even think about it. I don't process it. I just... You know, it just kind of goes in one ear and I just say it. You know, that's kind of that's kind of how I debate and convey facts. And while we're on the topic of big government, which I think is highly funny that everyone calls everything big when they don't like something. It's just big, big pharma, big government, big oil. What's next? Big, big food. You know, there's always big something. And, and for whatever reason, big means bad, which, you know, people don't understand that big has been created due to regulations brought on by their beloved government. But that's another topic for another day. So while we're on the topic of big government, I want to talk about a little company in 2008, which I think I may have mentioned in the last week or so, called Solyndra. S-O-L-Y-N-D-R-A. Now, you may remember this company. You may remember hearing about it. But it was in 2008, 2009, Barack Obama administration with his trusty sidekick, Joe Byron, got approval from Congress to loan or to, to guarantee a loan to this company called Solyndra. And they were going to change the world and make everything green and green energy and solar panels and batteries, and they were going to do all this. So they gave $535 million of your taxpayer money to this company. Within two years, the company was entirely broke, they brought the executives before Congress. They tried to have a hearing, and they all pled the fifth. No one would say anything. They had seen that they were having cash flow problems like six months before the whole thing fell apart. Nothing happened to anyone. Nobody got in trouble. $535 million, poof, gone. And, but no one remembers these things. That's what's infuriating to me is that we can look back and we can see every time government props up an industry corruption ensues people take advantage of it you don't think so you don't think there's people out there taking advantage of farmer subsidies you don't think there's people out there taking advantage of welfare and WIC and unemployment and disability and social security name me one government program that people don't take advantage of that's right you can't you cannot do it because the government is an entity that everyone loves to take advantage of so here's a clip of joe biden 
in 2009 addressing these employees of this company called Solyndra. Now, he's talking to them through a screen. They're sitting outside in the burning sun watching him, and he's telling them how great it's going to be and how the country's going to change the future. And, yeah, well, just, just listen. But he just loves to imply about how many jobs the government creates, which is so preposterous because they don't. Part of our plan, part of our plan is to make sure... Oh, and if you're wondering why he's speaking so clearly, yeah, remember, it's from 2009. So, you know, that's probably why you hear a little a difference in his ability to cognitively function. As we create these jobs, we create jobs of the future, like the ones you're creating. Jobs you can raise a family on. Green jobs. Jobs that will serve as a foundation for a stronger American economy. Which is why it's so important we, we, we invest in Solyndra and invest in what Solyndra is doing, not just to get us through today, but to power our way to a much brighter tomorrow. You know, there was a 19th century uh, Scottish author. Why does he always go off on stupid stories? And political reformer named Samuel Smiles. He once said, and I think the quote is appropriate here, he said, hope is like the sun, which as you journey toward it, as you journey toward it, cast the shadow of our burden behind us. That must be the exact same speechwriter that Kamala Harris uses. That made no sense. Well, that's exactly, exactly what we're doing here today. We're journeying, in a sense, closer and closer to the sun, to a more solar-powered America. And as we do, we're leaving a shadow of a less efficient. Okay, last interruption, probably. You hear where he said less efficient? So he's trying to tell me that in 2008, 2009, Petroleum is less efficient than wind and solar. I'll let you be the judge of that. You tell me if you think that wind and solar is more efficient than petroleum. That's your decision, not mine. More damaging past behind us. And I'm really happy, along with the secretary, to announce today that we've closed a $535 million loan guarantee for Solyndra. More than half a billion dollars. This is the first in what the Secretary is going to be announcing, the Department of Energy we were making available for more than $30 billion in loan guarantees the Recovery Act is providing and will provide to American companies that are leading the way to a new clean energy future. The loan to Solyndra will allow you, will allow you to build a new manufacturing facility and with it almost immediately generate 3,000 new well-paying construction jobs. And once your facility opens, there will be about 1,000 permanent new jobs here at Solyndra and in the surrounding business community, and hundreds more to install your growing output of solar panels throughout the country. It's important. It's important because these jobs are going to be permanent jobs. Permanent jobs. Permanent jobs. Permanent jobs. These are the jobs of the future. These are the green jobs. These are the jobs that won't be exported. These are the jobs that are going to define the 21st century and the jobs that are going to allow America to compete and to lead like we did in the 20th century. But beyond that, by doing this work, you're also reducing carbon emissions. You don't think there's something going on here? You don't think, oh, Joey boy is getting something on the backside? No, no, you don't think so? Well, I do. This guy's known to make deals. He does deals all the time. He does deals through his son. And if some politician is probably listening right now, they're saying, 
Yeah, you idiot, dude. That's how politics works. You get things done in exchange for money so you can get more votes. Well, let's fast forward two years after that historic, record-breaking $535 million loan guarantee to such a fine and efficient green energy company that's going to provide jobs into the future and just turn America into what everyone wishes it was. Let's fast forward to a little news clip about what happened. Challenge the Obama administration. There's more trouble ahead for Solyndra because the FBI is now investigating the company for accounting fraud. Megan Hughes has been following this probe since it first began and she joins us from Washington with the latest developments. Megan? Hi there, Scarlett. First, let's talk about what's new. We've known that the FBI is investigating, but now we know specifically what they're looking for. Number one, accounting fraud. Number two, the accuracy of the financial representations made by Solyndra to the federal government, specifically the Department of Energy. We know the FBI raided Solyndra's headquarters two days after the company filed for bankruptcy. Congressional investigations are also underway, with a lot of scrutiny here between of the communication between the company, the White House, and the DOE. Republicans blame the Obama administration for rushing to approve this $535 million loan. Now, as for Solyndra, the company's spokesman didn't respond to these developments specifically, but in a statement last week, the company said, quote, the company is not aware of any wrongdoing by Solyndra officers, directors, or employees related to the Energy Department loan guarantees. One other new development that I want to talk to you about, Scarlett, we do know that the Energy Department was aware that Solyndra was having cash flow problems as at least as early as last fall. And there you have it, the story of Solyndra. What happened to all these guys? Nothing. They pled the fifth. They, they dragged them up in court. They said, hey, tell us what went wrong. They said, no, we're, we're pleading the fifth. We're not talking. Why is that? Why did the FBI raid them two days after they declared bankruptcy? Listen, if I ever have to declare bankruptcy and they want to see my books, I'll say, take them. You look at my books and you'll see why I went bankrupt. These people had something to hide. Why would they plead the fifth? Why would you give $535 million to one company? Why not sprinkle it out to a bunch of small companies and see which ones are really innovative and which ones take money and do good things? I guarantee you, all the people who are behind this, they're still rich. They're still flying around on private jets. Thanks to you and me and our tax dollars. Of the $535 million that we gave to Solyndra, they only paid $2 million back. $2 million. Someone gave you $535 million and said, hey, go start a business and do good things. And you could only pay back $2 million over the course of two years. And then all the money's gone in two years. I mean, that is the biggest case of fraud that I've ever seen. And I know there's a lot more than this. In regards to the government, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, the, the government picking in winners and losers they're picking who gets the money. You get money, you get money, you don't get money. That this is a this is a theme and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And how soon we forget. This was just 10 years ago. It was just 10 years ago. And we don't care as long as the Kardashians are on, as long as our Netflix subscription is good, as long as we can get on TikTok then just, you know what, it's just $535 million. It's just Joe Biden doing deals under the table and dangling loan guarantees in front of the the Attorney General of the Ukraine 
so his son didn't get traded. It's just that. It's no big deal, Brandon. Stop. I don't know why he gets so worked up. You know, people like you just get so grumpy and mad. At pol- I mean, they're just politicians. They just It's just the way they are. You know what? We just They've always been that way, and they're always going to be that way. And you just got to live your life, man. Nah, not me. Not me. You know what's really funny about that news clip? Is that it's it was posted by CNN, I think. If it wasn't this one, it was another one. Posted by CNN with 14.2 million subscribers. And it had 255 views. 255 views. Oh, actually, you know what? This one was from Bloomberg. This is from Bloomberg. 3.26 million subscribers. Posted 10 years ago. 255 views. You know, if people thought about this and they did some research and thought, man, we're giving money to big tech. We're giving money to these chip companies. Has the U.S. government ever given money to single companies before? This page would probably have more than 255 views. The The clip I paid, I, I saw like Joe Biden again, the clip I played of Joe Biden speaking to Solyndra, telling them that they were going to be the leaders of the future, not knowing that they were all about to be broke and out of work, that was from 10 years ago also. That was from CNN, and it had 162 views. 162 views of Biden talking about how great Solyndra was going to be. We have to question these people. We have to question their motives. We have to hold them accountable. Whether or not they see eye to eye with us politically, whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or a short guy or a tall guy or a fat guy, no matter who they are, they need to be questioned. And that, I'm going to leave that at that. No, I'm not. I'm just joking. There's one more thing I want to touch on. I went back and I looked at my notes and I seen something that I didn't touch on. And that is the fact that the government backs a program called the SBA, the Small Business Administration. And much like my other two examples, the way that the SBA works is small little startup companies who can't get funding by the banks apply for what's called an SBA loan. Now, this is the exact same thing that Solyndra got, but it's on a small scale. And those of you who know me know that I am in bed right now with an SBA loan. And so there's probably someone who's saying, how can you get so mad about the government banking loans and then you take a loan that's backed by the government too? Well, because I'll take it. If they're going to put it out there, I'll take it. Now, the SBA has a default rate of about 6%. That means of all the billions and billions and billions of dollars that they loan out, 6% of them don't get repaid. 6% of the dollars. I would imagine, obviously, it's a fewer percentage of borrowers because we know each person didn't just borrow a dollar. So 6% of SBA loan dollars don't get repaid. That's a pretty low number, but the goal should be to get that number to zero. So how would you do that? How would you go about so that we only have 0% SBA failures? Well, that's... You just you you tighten the, the requirements to borrow the money a little bit more. You make it a little bit more hard or difficult to borrow the money. And I don't mean like hard or difficult, like you have to fill out more paperwork. I mean that they may require more industry experience or more demonstrative abilities that you can run a business, more qualifications, more checks in place to make sure that you're not going to default. Now, obviously, the number can never really get to zero. I think that 6% is a great number. 
I'm also okay with it because there is nothing by the government that limits who can borrow this money. It's open to any qualified borrower. Now, Solyndra, on the other hand, the government said, okay, we believe in you. Just one, just one, just one company. We realize there's 40 or 50, maybe 40 or 50,000 companies like you. But you know what? We think you're the best. And <laughs> what does the government know about selecting good companies? Really, what do they know? These guys have never run businesses. They've never done payroll. They've never had to think and innovate and create and compete. No, they don't live in that environment. They live in the popularity contest environment where people drive you everywhere and you don't even make your own plane reservations. So that's the difference between the SBA and the the president scratching a check to one company. It It's silly. So silly in my mind. And this is happening with the chip manufacturers. It's happening with the farmers. It's, it's happening more and more. More and more businesses are getting gobbled up by the government. And eventually, eventually, small businesses will be gone. Because if the government continues to pump money into big businesses and give them incentives and give them tax breaks, they will be at a competitive advantage to the small guys. And they'll run them off. They'll, they'll be able to produce goods at a cheaper price. So the consumers will end up buying from them. This is how Walmart got to be so big, which, hey, I'm not mad at Walmart. A lot of people hate Walmart because they ran off to mom and pump stores. But they're the same people who decided to start shopping at Walmart. Walmart gave the consumers what they want at the price they wanted to pay with no help from the government that I know of, that I know of. Maybe they have gotten some money. I don't know. At this point, I'd be surprised at large companies who haven't gotten money from the government. Bottom line is we cannot put into the hands of these slime balls to accurately pick who gets free money and who doesn't get free money. It's a terrible idea that most 11-year-olds would probably think is a terrible idea as well. And with that, I'm going to close out this marathon podcast. We've got an afternoon beach party down at the beach. We're giving away, well, you know what? I can't I can't say what we're giving away. But if you know what I do for a living, then you'll probably know what we're giving away. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I hope everyone goes out there, has a great week, respectfully disagree with someone you work with, do something nice for your neighbor, pay a little bit more in your debt payments Just than you normally do, play with your dog, I don't be productive, know, seems and no keep it tricky, no small and mama cooked the breakfast with no hog i got my grub on but didn't dig out finally got a call from a girl i want to dig out hooked it up for later as i hit the dope thinking will i live another 24 i gotta go because i got me a drop top and if i hit the switch i can make the ass drop had to stop at a red light looking in my mirror not a jacker in sight and everything is all right I got a beat from Kim, and she could do it all night. Called up the homies, and I'm asking y'all, which part are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court, and I'm troubled. Last week, messed around and got a triple-double. Freaking brothers every way, like MJ. I can't believe today was a good day. the pad and 
hit the showers Didn't even get no static from the cowards Cause just yesterday them booze tried to blast me Saw the police and they rolled right past me No flexing, didn't even look in a brother's direction As I ran the intersection Went to show dog's house, they was watching your MTV raps What's the haps on the craps? Shake em up, shake em up, shake em up, shake em Roll em in a circle of homies and watch me break em with a 7 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, 7-Even back door, little jump I picked up the cash flow then we play bones, and I'm yelling domino. Plus, nobody I know got killed in South Central LA. Today was a good day.